Uh, our second panel is Mr. Paul Bender, professor of law at Arizona State University, College of Law. Mr. Walter R. Echohawk, uh, who's the senior staff attorney at the Native American Rights Fund. Patricia Lambert, who's an American Association of Physical Anthropologist at Utah State University. Ms. Paula Barron is an attorney for Barron and Liebman in Portland, Oregon, and she's accompanied by Mr. Alan Schneider, who's the director of Friends of America's Past. Professor Keith Kintig, Society for American Archaeology in Tempe, Arizona, and Mr. Van Horn Diamond of Honolulu, Hawaii. We will begin with our old friend, Mr. Paul Bender. Welcome back. Thank you, Senator. And thank you for your leadership in this whole project from the beginning of the statute. I'm here because I was the facilitator of the dialogue panel, which I think you recommended should be convened. And that dialogue panel, Mr. Echohawk is on the panel, uh, came up with a consensus about what the statute should contain. And the Ninth Circuit decision is just wrong about the definition of Native American. And the reason it's wrong is because it failed to understand that NAGPRA has two principal purposes. One is repatriation. <clears throat> but to me, and I think to the panel, the more important one was consultation, admitting Indian tribes into the consultation process so that, for example, when you discover old remains in a building project, you have to notify tribes and consult with tribes about whether they are affiliated. Under the Ninth Circuit decision, there would be no consultation, <clears throat> or there wouldn't have to be any consultation. The museum that had remains or people who discovered remains could just make the decision that, hey, there's no present-day tribe that's affiliated and go on and treat them as if they were not Native American. The, the term Native American is meant to be tremendously inclusive in order to permit the tribes to engage in consultation about whether they are related, culturally related, to a present-day tribe. And that the repatriation standard is what the Ninth Circuit said the Native American standard was. The repatriation standard is <clears throat> whether, it's a, whether there's a relationship with a present-day Indian tribe. But materials are Native American before you make that determination, because if it's determined that they are not <clears throat> affiliated with the present tribe, the statute says those remains or the fate of those remains is in the hands of the review committee that the statute set up. And the review committee <clears throat> is explicitly told to compile an inventory of culturally unidentifiable human remains that are in the possession and control of federal agency and museum and recommend specific actions for developing a process for disposition of such remains. If unidentified remains or unaffiliated remains are not Native American remains, this provision has absolutely no meaning because culturally unidentifiable material would not be Native American and wouldn't go before the committee. I think that illustrates what's wrong with the Ninth Circuit's interpretation. It focused on repatriation, and it said, hey, we shouldn't repatriate things unless they're related to a present-day tribe. That's generally true under the statute, but the, the important thing is that before you decide whether they're affiliated, you have to consult with tribes and with the review committee. 
And the Ninth Circuit decision just strikes that completely from the statute. The consultation part of the statute was, to me, the more important part. The thing that struck me in the dialogue panel was that the principal anger of the tribes over many years was the failure to consult. Museums would have things and would say, we know what they are. We're not going to talk to you. We're not even going to let you see them. When they consulted, generally, there was an agreement about whether they were related to a tribe and what should be done with them. It was the failure to consult, the failure to admit Indians into the process of deciding whether they were Native American, whether they were related to a present-day tribe, whether they ought to be repatriated. And the statute carefully set up a two-stage process. First, you consult, and then you make a decision. And if the decision is that they're not related to a present-day tribe, then they go to the review committee, and the review committee is supposed to decide what happens to them. The Ninth Circuit seemed to think that the only thing the statute was for was to repatriate. That's just not true. Under the Ninth Circuit decision, that whole consultation part of the statute would be canceled because you would dig up a skeleton. You would say, hey, do I think this is related to a present-day tribe? No. Therefore, I can go ahead and destroy it, throw it away. The statute meant to say when you dig up an old skeleton, you stop, and the statute says you have to stop, and you consult with the appropriate tribes. And through that consultation process, you try to decide whether they're repatriatable remains. It's really important to have the tribes involved in that. And it's also really important to have the tribes, even if you decide that the remains are not affiliated with a present-day tribe, it's really important to have Indians involved in the decision in the review committee about what should happen to these old remains. And the review committee contains Indian representatives. The Ninth Circuit decision just throws that out and acts as if the only question is, are these repatriatable? So a museum with remains or a museum with any cultural objects could say, well, we don't think there's a present-day tribe that's related to these, so we don't have to tell anybody about them. Well, they've made the decision that they're not affiliated. The whole point was they were supposed to inform tribes so that they could consult with them about whether they were affiliated. And that's the part of the process that the Ninth Circuit decision leaves out. If you change the statute the way the amendment proposes, you wouldn't change the repatriation standard at all. It remains exactly the same. What you would change is the need to bring Indians into the process of deciding whether they're affiliated, and if so, who they're affiliated with. And I think that's really important to do. Thank you very much. Why do you think the administration opposes? I haven't got the slightest idea. They were right the first time. They clearly understood that indigenous meant any indigenous peoples prior to the Europeans' arrival. Any indigenous materials like that were under NAGPRA. And why they have changed their mind about that, I do not know. Welcome, Mr. Echohawk. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Good morning, members of the committee, Senator Inouye, Senator Dorgan. It's a pleasure to be back before the committee to discuss today's subject. I am familiar with the issue today by virtue of my work since 1986 on repatriation issues. I was a member of the panel that was referred to in Professor Bender's testimony. I worked closely with the committee, gave testimony on NAGPRA, worked with the staff in the development of NAGPRA on behalf of Native clients. 
And subsequent to that, I uh, have worked on the implementation of the statute uh, by representing tribes in repatriation claims. I also participated in the Bonishan case as counsel to amicus parties to try to effectuate the statute and ensure that it was properly interpret interpreted by the court. Um, so I'm familiar with today's uh, uh, issues, and I, I have to say that uh, um, uh, my my testimony is in the record. I'm not going to just I'll just briefly summarize it, and I'd like to address myself, time permitting, to the comments made by the administration, which I feel are very sad uh, uh, retreat from its earlier position. And I'd like to introduce, for the record, the brief that was submitted by the United States. Uh, in the Bonishan case where they, they supported very strongly the definition of Native American as including all indigenous people, uh, Native people indigenous to the United States and their uh, regulations and, uh, uh, in support implementing NAGPRA. And so it was very sad, uh, to, to for me to, uh, today to see a, a, uh, them break their word that they gave to the Ninth Circuit. And I think when it comes to a human rights matter, it, 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 it is, uh, we lose credibility when the administration says one thing to one branch of the government and then the opposite to a, another branch. And so, if I may, I would like to introduce this, uh, their brief in, into the record of this hearing, yeah. if I may. Without objection, it will be made a part of the record. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Um, <clears throat> Today I represent a working group of prominent Native Americans who are concerned with unknown Native American dead, those dead who have not, who are currently listed as not being culturally affiliated or having any known descendants. And according to the testimony of the administration, there are 111,000 of these unknown dead. And my clients are concerned about their fate and their proper disposition, and particularly those provisions of NAGPRA which expressly pertain to their classification, their treatment, and their disposition. And I fully agree with uh, the very sound legal analysis uh, provided by Professor Bender regarding the impact of Bonishan on NAGPRA. Uh, the the uh, uh, court's interpretation was incorrect. Uh, for the reasons that he gave in his testimony. And I would just simply add two things in my written testimony on that point, on the correctness of the opinion. It's very telling that the court did not cite any legislate, direct legislative history concerning Section 3001.9, the definition of Native American, to support its narrow restrictive holding. And the reason why, Mr. Chairman, is that there is no legislative, direct legislative history behind that section. And the reason why is there was no debate, there was no argument, uh, or no controversy concerning that section at the time it was crafted. All of the parties, uh, everyone who worked on the legislature, including myself, logically it's assumed that, that NAGPRA would apply to any Native Americans that are indigenous to the United States. That's the reason why there's special statutory sections that deal with these individuals, these unknown individuals. That's why the Secretary of Interior promulgated regulations on that assumption and took the position it did. 
because we were all under that assumption. And uh, um, uh, the, the court uh, 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 undercut, undercut the scope of, of it. So I, I agree with that. And secondly, it's very telling that the court even recognized that there's a disparate coverage now for Native American and Native Hawaiian because the court said, you know, we don't have this threshold showing for Native Hawaiians uh, because Congress used different language using geographic criteria. But I know that Congress did not um, uh, um, intend to have broader coverage for Native Hawaiians than Native Americans. And so it's wrong. It, it nullifies uh, various provisions in the statute that uh, are referenced in my uh, testimony. And it, uh, restrict, it restricts the coverage of the statute uh, uh, seriously. And uh, so I earnestly urge the committee to continue working on this to, to uh, get us back on the path that was established by, by all of us in 1990. I think we were all well pleased with the work that was done then, considered it landmark consensus human rights legislation. And... As a practitioner of federal Indian law um, for 30 years, I have had occasion to study the history of federal Indian law, Mr. Chairman, and I've, I've seen, and I think scholars will agree with me, and Senator Inouye, uh, I've heard him as well, but there has been far too much abrogation of Indian treaty rights and Indian rights in the art history of our great nation. And, and uh, I think that it's within the power of Congress to ensure that its measures, its human right measures enacted for Native Americans are not abrogated by other branches of the government. That's what occurred in the Bonishan case. And I think we just witnessed the administration in today's hearing attempting to abrogate the statute as well, retreating from its position. And that's very sad to see. I, I thought that those days were past, you know, that, uh, and so I, I just respectfully say and urge the committee, the name of the national honor to, to uphold this human rights statute and ensure that our intent is effectuated. And I thank you uh, for the opportunity again to, to be here today and I uh, pledge uh, any assistance that I have to, to uh, work with the committee as we continue to look at this serious uh, um, uh, impairment of, of the NAGPRA objectives that has resulted. Thank you. Thank you very much. Ms. Lambert. I am here uh, representing the American Association of Physical Anthropologists, and I, we want to thank you for the opportunity as well to present uh, testimony uh, before the committee. I'll read this to make sure I get it right. Uh, the American uh, Association of Physical Anthropologists is the largest uh, professional society or, uh, devoted to the study of uh, physical anthropology in the United States. We were part of the coalition of Native American and scientific groups that worked for the passage of the Native American Graves Protection and Repatriation Act, and we continue to support the key goal of ensuring that culturally affiliated, federally recognized tribes are allowed to make decisions regarding the disposition of their ancestral remains. During the NAGPRA negotiations, it was our understanding that the term Native American encompassed both modern and ancient indigenous groups, including the many earlier archaeologically documented cultures that have disappeared and thus are not culturally affiliated with any modern federally recognized tribe. 
The Ninth Circuit Court's ruling in the case of Kennewick Man makes it clear that the current NAGPRA definition of Native American does not reflect this common sense understanding of the term. We consequently do not object to the insertion of or was into the current definition to clarify its meaning. However, we do have a concern about the tying of the proposed amendment. It's impossible to judge the effects of the proposed change in the absence of regulations regarding the disposition of culturally unidentifiable human remains. This apparently minor word change in the definition of Native American could have profound legal ramifications at odds with the intent of NAGPRA, depending on how the regulations are worded. NAGPRA has been a success because of the careful way it was crafted to balance the disparate interests of many different groups of Americans in archaeological remains. NAGPRA's specific instructions regarding the composition of the review committee makes this balance of interest very clear. The key to the compromise that allowed so many different groups to support NAGPRA's passage resides in the concept of cultural affiliation. NAGPRA provides culturally affiliated tribes with the right to reclaim the remains of their ancestors where lineal descent or relationship of shared group identity can be clearly established based on the preponderance of a broad range of different types of evidence. However, when a reasonably close relationship between human remains and a modern federally recognized tribe cannot be established, NAGPRA permits human remains to be retained for scientific study. In this way, NAGPRA balances the undisputed right of close relatives to have to decide about the disposition of their ancestral remains against the rich array of historical insights that can be derived through, American, through scientific study for all Americans. The troubling aspect of the Kennewick case, in our opinion, is not the fact that the Secretary of the Interior considered the Kennewick remains to be those of Native American. Instead, it derives from the Secretary's lack of adherence to the statutory definition of cultural affiliation, which is a relationship of shared group identity, which can be reasonably traced between a present-day Indian tribe and an earlier identifiable group, quote-unquote. And we also feel there was a lack of appreciation for the balance that is at the heart of NAGPRA. Such attempts by the DOI to extend the concept of cultural affiliation to encompass very ancient remains with no demonstrable relationship to any modern tribe makes us apprehensive about the way the amendment uh, you're currently considering will interact with pending draft regulations dealing with culturally unidentifiable human remains because the proposed amendment will bring very ancient remains like Kennewick Man under the purview of NAGPRA by defining them as Native American. We want to remind uh, the committee that NAGPRA neither instructs nor provides authority for mandatory mass repatriations of culturally unidentifiable human remains to culturally unaffiliated groups. It doesn't say that anywhere. However, it seems likely based on the position the DOI took in, that, in the Kennewick case that the proposed regulations will attempt to do just that. Given these concerns, we hope that you will consider delaying the passage of the proposed amendment until regulations dealing with culturally unidentifiable human remains are promulgated. We look forward to your assistance in making sure that any regulations dealing with such collections balance the absence of a relationship of shared group identity against the value of these remains for, uh, uh, to all Americans uh, as a source of information about our collective past. Culturally unidentifiable remains have enormous scientific value about learning about life in distant times. They also have important insights that they can provide for modern-day medical and forensic concerns. I'd be happy to elaborate on that. In summary, we support the spirit of the proposed amendment and withhold our full support only because the legal ramifications of this change in statute cannot be fully assessed in the absence of regulations dealing with the disposition of culturally unidentifiable human remains. Thank you.
Ms. Lambert, thank you very much. Uh, the chairman had to go down to the Commerce Committee, which is downstairs, to offer an amendment on a markup, and uh, he will be back, at which point I will go down and offer my amendment on, on <laughs> the markup of another bill. So we're, we're uh, having to uh, juggle in this manner, but um, Senator McCain will, will be back in a bit. Um, next, let me call on uh, Ms. Paula Barron, attorney uh, at Barron Liebman. Portland, Oregon, accompanied by Mr. Alan Schneider, Director of Friends of America's Past in Portland, Oregon. Ms. Barron, thank, thank you, you very much for being here. Uh, I appreciate the opportunity to be here, as does Mr. Schneider. Uh, we are the attorneys who handled the Bonnickson versus United States case from almost the moment that the skeleton of the Kennewick man was discovered in the Columbia River nine years ago this week and are continuing to handle it today. And I must say that I very much disagree with Professor Bender's analysis of the Ninth Circuit and its uh, opinion in that case. I argued the case before the Ninth Circuit, and before that, Mr. Schneider and I briefed the case, and before that, we tried the Kennewick Man case, and before that, we consulted or attempted to consult with the government. And one of the problems that we ran into, in addition to some very shameful treatment by the government in this case, which I'll um, elaborate on briefly, uh, we, one of our issues was not that the Department of Interior and the Army Corps of Engineers was consulting with the tribes. We thought that that was wonderful and that was the way the statute was intended to be. Our problem was that the moment that that skeleton was seized by the Army Corps of Engineers, our clients, who were the most distinguished physical anthropologists in this country, were literally shut out of that process. We were told by the government that it was our job to figure out what to tell them, but they weren't going to talk to us. They weren't going to tell us what they were, were finding. But they also ridiculed us and they ridiculed our clients, people who have written the books about the prehistory of this country. And I found, I found that, and I found that treatment to be a terrible thing to experience as an American. Nine years ago this week, the Kennewick Man skeleton was discovered, and he's magical. Two weeks ago, the scientific team finally ended its first round of investigation into that skeleton. And I tell you what they are discovering is just a magical, wonderful part of the peopling of the Americas. 8,000, 9,000, 10,000, maybe longer, uh, many, many years ago, people walked this land. They walked the continental United States, and they weren't American Indians as we know those people today. They're different. Kennewick Man is different. There are a handful of ancient skeletons, and they have the capacity to tell us so much about the prehistory of this country. But we have so very little to work from. One of the reasons that Kennewick Man sparked the battle that he did is the incredible value of an almost complete 9,000-year-old skeleton with a spear point in his hip, a tall man, 5 foot 10 inches or so, who lived to a very, very ancient age, 9,000 years ago, more than 500 generations before the pyramids. This, this man walked our country, and he wasn't an American Indian as we know it today, but the Army Corps of Engineers seized that skeleton and immediately announced its intention to, and I quote, do exactly what the Umatilla have requested us to do, which means to rebury that skeleton with no opportunity to find out what he meant and what he could tell us. I mentioned that we have very, very little to look on to understand the prehistory of this country. It's a little bit like trying to understand all of Shakespeare by reading two sonnets in the balcony scene from Romeo and Juliet. There was a culture here in, in many, many millennia ago, and we deserve as Americans to understand that. What you are looking at today in this proposed amendment, which I think has a misnomer of a technical amendment, it's not, it's a sweeping change, you're going to take those ancient cultures and you're going to stamp them 
with a stamp that says you're Native American as we understand that today, and we aren't ever going to let you tell us the story of what it was like so long ago. I think you've been told, you've been told today, and you've been told as this statute has developed and as these proposed amendments have been developed, that they won't make any change, they will go back to the original intent of NAGPRA. We came here today out of Oregon, where I don't think any sane Oregonian would leave in the summer, because we wanted to talk to you about the drastic changes that these proposed amendments are going to make. The first step that happens when you're looking at a skeleton is to make a determination whether or not it is Native American. Once that happens, there are very, very severe consequences to, to that decision. The second analysis is whether or not that Native American skeleton is culturally affiliated. That's a very important structure, we think, because the consequences of calling something Native American mean that that skeleton, and I'm going to just talk about remains because that's what we, we had in Kennewick Man, that skeleton can be automatically turned over to people who have no relationship to it simply because you called it Native American. There's a form under NAGPRA, under the grave statute, of automatic ownership. That can happen, for example, if the Department of Interior decides, regu promulgates regulations that will just give over these ancient remains without proof of a relationship. But there are also provisions in the statute that automatically give over ownership based simply on geography. So, for example, if you find ancient remains, 9,000 years old, and you find them on land that was declared in some ancient court case to have been aboriginal, it will automatically be turned over to people who have no need to show that they have a demonstrable connection. So that's the first consequence of calling something Native American. The second consequence, and this is one that we very, very much experienced during the Kennewick Man battle and the Kennewick Man litigation, once you say something is Native American, the only people who can make a claim for those remains are people who are today Native American. We were told repeatedly after the Kennewick Man skeleton was discovered that because our scientists were not Native American, they had no right to even be heard on what would happen to that skeleton, even though, as it turned out, that skeleton bears no relationship whatsoever, including from the government's own study team, no relationship whatsoever to modern-day Native Americans. He's different. His closest affinities are Polynesian or the Ainu of Japan, the prehistoric ancestors of the Ainu of Japan. Well, let me give you a hypothesis of what might happen and what we might discover here. Suppose, just suppose for a moment, that this land was originally settled by people who came up from the south, from Central America or South America or Mexico, and they moved into the continent, what is now the continental United States, and then they were pushed back out, but they had for a while a thriving culture. And then later, many, many centuries later, they came back. What you would be doing is to say, your remains, those ancient people whose ancestors, who were ancestral to Hispanic population, are now Native American, and their ownership is being transferred to claiming Indian tribes when that's a totally different culture. And you are saying, you don't matter to us. Your culture doesn't matter to us. 12% of our population in this country today is Hispanic, and that's not an unlikely consequence of what we might discover. But I also mentioned earlier in, in my remarks that, that the government acted most shamefully in this case, and I want to give you a couple of examples of that so you understand why we came here and why this was so important and why we battled in court for years and years and years over the right to study this skeleton. The first thing that we noticed when we were finally given access to the administrative record is that an employee of the Department of Interior 
just an employee, not a policy setter, was writing memoranda about how he wanted to suppress thought on how this country might have been peopled. Now, I think that's terrifying to have an employee in a government agency start telling people that he wanted to control these remains so that we couldn't find anything out because he didn't like a particular theory that science was advancing. That's the first thing that's happened. Do you submit that for the record? I assume that's part of it. Yes, you it's an electronic mail. Yes, sir. It's part of the administrative record, and I'd be happy do to. Do you submit it? Thank you. The second thing that happened is in April 1998, this, this body, the Senate and the House of Representatives, passed a bill, and that bill was to forbid the destruction of the Kennewick Man Discovery Site. It was passed, it was sent to the White House for signature, and then, unfortunately, you took an Easter recess. And as soon as Congress closed down for the weekend, the Army Health Corps of Engineers helicopters took off and dumped tons of rubble over the Kennewick Man Discovery Site. They ruined it. We will now never know what was buried there. And one of the things that we are starting to see from this first scientific study of the skeleton is he might have been intentionally buried there but we will never have the opportunity. Now, that was an astonishing act from the Army Corps of Engineers to be so openly defiant of Congress. The third thing that happened was this level of appeasement. We never walked into court wanting to fight with the tribes who, with whom we have incredible respect. Our clients study their culture. But we did walk into court saying that our clients, our scientists, should be treated fairly in this process, and we all as Americans should have the right to learn about Kennewick Man. But we saw memorandum after memorandum saying, if we get the right answer the first time, we won't even allow anybody to study. We will do what the tribes want us to do with this incredible skeleton, this most incredible skeleton. And the last thing that happened was a level of um, astonishing insult from these agencies. We stood in court, in a, in a federal court in Portland, Oregon, and listened to a Department of Justice attorney call these scientists savagers of Indian heritage. We listened to them. We, we read them calling Dr. Owsley, who sits here today from the Smithsonian Institution, a paleo-cowboy. One of the NAGPRA officials told Mr. Schneider here that he didn't want to let a bunch of old bones get in the way of doing other important business. And the Department of Interior and the Army Corps of Engineers did that under the current statute. So we ask you to think about what they will do if you give them broader powers under this new definition. The last effect that I think you will see is what is a hamstringing of education in this country. Senator, I've earned five university degrees. I've earned three of them in this country. And until this case, I would stack my experience up against anything that any other country can give us. But now anthropology departments are starting to send their PhD candidates out of this country to do their study because they cannot have access to the remains that they need to complete their studies. If you pass this amendment, if you pass this bill, you might as well shut down paleoanthropology studies in American universities. Our scholars of tomorrow will be trained by foreign scientists who are trained elsewhere, if we train them at all. And I find that to be a very, very sad outcome. So when I was fly flying across country yesterday, I was thinking a lot about being an American and what it's always meant to me and what it meant to me during this litigation and what it meant to me to have a judicial system that could rein in the overweening uh, pride and hubris of these government agencies that we had to do battle for so many long years. And I was reminded that when this country was formed, even people like Thomas Jefferson, who was no mean scientist in his own right, remarked that we would not let 
we would not ever be afraid to follow truth wherever truth will take us. I ask this committee to please don't prove him wrong. Thank you very much for your testimony. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, you know Mr. Bender, is that right? I do not. I have met Mr. Bender for oh. the first time today. We'll probably have a chance during the question and answer session to uh, exchange views since you <laughs> described the, Mr. Bender's views. And uh, I, I appreciate very much the opportunity to have uh, conflicting sets of interests and views here so the committee can evaluate them and both of you expressed them very well, as do the other witnesses. Professor Keith Kintig, and I'm not sure whether I have that, is that right? Professor Keith Kintig, the Society for American Archaeology in Tempe, Arizona, is with us. Professor Kintig, why don't you proceed with your testimony? Thank you. Uh, Mr. Chairman, the Society for American Archaeology thanks the committee for the opportunity to comment on the proposed amendment. Fifteen years ago, I appeared before this committee to present SAA's testimony on Senate 1980, the bill that became NAGPRA. SAA represented the scientific community in shaping NAGPRA's compromise among Native Americans, including Mr. Echohawk, uh, museums, and scientists. And SAA helped form a coalition of scientific organizations and Native American groups that strongly supported NAGPRA's enactment. Since that time, SAA has closely monitored NAGPRA's implementation and consistently urges our 6,800 members always to work towards its effective implementation. We believe that any amendment should uphold NAGPRA's central principle that repatriation is a remedy provided to Indian tribes that are reasonably closely related to human remains or objects. Under NAGPRA, in most cases, cultural affiliation is the legal standard for closeness of relationship that must be achieved. The proposed amendment would modify the definition of Native American in response to judicial rulings that the statute requires that human remains bear some relationship to a presently existing tribe, people, or culture in order to be considered Native American. In our amicus filing in the Kennewick case, SAA agreed with uh, DOI's earlier position uh, on the broader meaning of Native American, arguing that requiring demonstration of a relationship to modern Native Americans is contrary to the plain language of the statute and would absurdly exclude historically documented Indian tribes that have no present-day descendants. However, in that same amicus filing, SAA argued, contrary to DOI's position, that Kennewick Man should not be repatriated to the claimant tribes because he did not meet the statutory standard of cultural affiliation. On this point, Judge Geldricks agreed, stating, the Secretary's decision does not meet this standard. As a consequence, the judge continued, even if the Secretary's conclusion that the remains are Native American had been correct, the decision to award these remains to the tribal claimants could not stand. I continue to think that SEA got it right in its amicus brief. The proposed amendment would have the effect of reversing the, course, the court's interpretation, thereby restoring the status quo ante for the definition of Native American. The amendment would not affect the court's findings on cultural affiliation. The amendment thus would make NAGPRA's language consistent with what the Congress, SAA, uh, NARF, and to our knowledge, all the other parties understood Native American to mean back in 1990. I agree completely with Mr. Echohawk that it was uncontroversial at that time. In our analysis that I'll briefly outline, uh, we, we indicate that the predictable effects of the amendment would be minor in keeping with the committee's characterization of it as a technical amendment. For NAGPRA to apply, human remains or objects must satisfy the definition of Native American. However, that is only the first step. In most cases, Native American repatriation under NAGPRA occurs only if there is also cultural affiliation, a relationship of shared group identity with a present-day Indian tribe. 
culturally affiliated human remains or objects are a subset of the remains or objects that would meet the definition of Native American either under the Kennewick Court's interpretation or of the proposed amendment. Thus, to the extent that repatriation is contingent on a showing of this more restrictive standard of cultural affiliation, the proposed definitional change would have absolutely no effect on the remains and objects that could be repatriated. In order to see the logical effects of the amendment, we must then look to three circumstances in which repatriation can occur in NAGPRA without a finding of cultural affiliation. First, cultural affiliation is not required for repatriation to lineal descendants. We take this to be unproblematic because any repatriation to lineal descendants is a reasonable disposition. Second, cultural affiliation is not required for repatriation of human remains or other cultural items found on Indian land since NAGPRA's enactment. However, even in the absence of an amendment, the tribe would control remains or objects under other law. This exception is therefore also unproblematic. Third, the proposed amendment would extend the possibility of repatriation to those ancient human remains or objects for which no relationship to a present-day tribe can be shown if they were discovered since NAGPRA's enactment on federal lands that are legally recognized as the aboriginal lands of a tribe. When NAGPRA's language was negotiated in 1990, SEA argued that the standard of cultural affiliation should also apply to these remains. However, as part of a compromise, SEA accepted the language that appears in the statute and is prepared to stand by it. In summary, consistent with our longstanding position on the meaning of Native American, the Society for American Archaeology supports the proposed amendment. Our analysis of its predictable effects suggests that the amendment would, in combination with responsible and even-handed regulation, serve to maintain NAGPRA's balance between public interest in the advancement of science and the very real concerns of Native Americans. SAA is grateful for the balance shown by the committee as it addresses NAGPRA, and again, thanks you for the opportunity to provide you with our perspective, and we'd be happy to help the committee in any way possible as it pursues this. Professor, thank you very much. And our final witness is uh, Mr. Van Horn Diamond from Honolulu, Hawaii. Mr. Diamond, thank you, and you may proceed. We have, I think we have your name placed in the wrong area there, but I've got Phil on the other end. All right. Aloha, and thank you, Senator Dorgan, uh, for this chance to talk with you about NAGPRA and the Native Hawaiian, specifically the need to further the enabling of the Native Hawaiian family called Ohana to meet its prime societal responsibility and family duty, the care for, custody of, and reverence to ancestral remains and artifacts. Please note this testimony is from the Diamond Ohana. We are recognized under NAGPRA as a Native Hawaiian organization. We don't speak for the Hawaiian people, nor are we experts to speak ex cathedra. But we have had interface with other Native Hawaiian organizations, especially families. Therefore, our remarks reflect our conversations with them, and to the extent applicable, our hands-on learning about NAGPRA and how it works in Hawaii, as we have observed and personally experienced. Before continuing, it's important for us to affirm our support for and endorsement of Senate Bill 536, Section 108. The two amendments enables Native American ways to have standing and enhance further the connection to ancestral remains and artifacts. No scientific curiosity should have singular license to indigenous remains and artifacts. Not all knowledge resides in Western scientific methodologies, modalities, and even eschatology. The Native Hawaiian family Ohana situation is somewhat similar to the Colville tribes to the Kennewick man and the Fallon Paiute Shoshone tribes in Nevada to its 10,000-year-old man. Ancestral remains and certain artifacts were buried secretly to protect from and deter desecration, both physical and spiritual. 
Consequently, it's the family's oral traditions, genealogy, history, and geographic presence, including how a descendant is named, which connects the present generation with its predecessors, especially our ancestors. But often, the specific tie as to whom is buried and where they are, where they lay, these facts sometimes die with whomever it was passed on to in prior generations. Consequently, the lineal definition within NAGPRA's administration rules does not readily and most often not enable the Hawaiian family from achieving its lineal descendant status. The alternative is, therefore, the, native, the NAGPRA definition of the Native Hawaiian organization, but it is a catch-all definition wherein all categories of Native Hawaiian organizations can be placed. Most are and were community-based nonprofit or agencies. This exists because when NAGPRA came to be, there was no Hawaiian Native government, and the majority of the participating Native Hawaiian groups were not the Hawaiian family. But in 2004-2005 timeframe, this fact has changed. Families are now trying to assume and fulfill its responsibility, their duty. However, there are some community-based entities suggesting the restriction as to whom is a Native Hawaiian organization to the disadvantage of the Native Hawaiian family. The consequence is no lineal descendant, no Native Hawaiian organization, therefore no family ability to participate. Our, pref our preference, therefore, is to recommend, if it's doable, to give the Native Hawaiian family its standing separate from the lineal descendants and Native Hawaiian organizations. If this cannot be, to ensure that under the Native Hawaiian organizations, the Native Hawaiian family standing is protected from excisement to fulfill their prime duty and responsibility. Um, one thing that came to mind as I was listening to Mr. Bender is that under NAGPRA, our experience is that prospective claimants as well as those that are recognized have the right to inspect the items. Clearly, the, pre the presumption then that there is going to be conferring consultation with whomever is the repatriator. And I would also think that under 106, there is a definition about culturally relevant communication. I would suggest to parties that want to have scientific inquiry that they affirm that by their participation and behavior. Mr. Diamond, thank you very much. Thank you for your testimony.